0: Up? Oh yeah, oh yeah, can I get up? What's up, enterprisers? Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we shape the mindset of the high achiever to think like an entrepreneur. We talk with masters of the craft to get the cheat codes to success, helping elite enterprisers level up and maximize their brand. I'm your host, Elsie, the mayor. Now let's get to it. All right, Carl, how are you my friend? Doing well, thanks, and you? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. It's going to be relatively nice here in Milwaukee today. It we're well overdue. It's been cold for far too long, so I'm excited about that. Super excited to have this conversation, a fellow founder, SaaS founder. I'm always excited to talk with you guys because i found that you think a little bit different than us regular founders. So I'm curious to <laughs> dig in and to learn from you. But before we get into the good stuff, Carl, can I get an oh yeah? Oh yeah. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. So, Revelancer, what is it? How'd you get to it?
1: Sure. So, well, thanks very much for having me on. Revolancer is a freelancing platform. And essentially, you know, I started it because I wanted to solve the problems that I had as a freelancer. So I started freelancing when I was 13, quickly figured out that, you know, the current state of the industry is not fair to freelancers and very outdated. Long story short, 10 years later, it's still the same thing. And we are on a good track to do something about it. So we've been going for about two years now. We've got well over 20,000 users on the platform already, and we are helping more and more freelancers every day.
0: So why SaaS? You could have done this business in any other format, right? It could have been just a service that you provided. Why did you decide to go the software as a service route?
1: Sure. So essentially, initially, we very much were a commission based marketplace. So that's how a lot of marketplaces in the space operate. But I realized that that's it's a problem. Because if you take a commission fee on a transaction, say it's 20%, which is the industry standard. If you take a commission fee, essentially, you have to police how people communicate, because they can't talk off platform. And then ultimately, you're just disrupting people's workflow because if they can talk outside the platform, they'll arrange to pay outside the platform and avoid the commission fees. So we realized that to bring freelancing and the freelancing platform space into the 21st century and allow video calling, which is now an essential part of remote work, the first thing that had to go is commissions. And then naturally a way to monetize and then it's through SaaS subscriptions for particularly useful features that freelancers really enjoy using on our optional paid plan.
0: Got it. And so what was your process or your methodology for sort of identifying these opportunities or holes in the market, right? Because, you know, you're not the only marketplace in the world, right? So what are some of the ways or methodologies that you use to kind of identify, hey, there's there's opportunity here and here and bringing that together. and, And now you have a platform that's better than the others.
1: Well, I mean, it's quite cliche, but it's this idea of first principle thinking, and and ultimately, you know, I started by being a freelancer, and then I experiencing these problems firsthand, experiencing how disruptive it, you know, was to my workflow and and just how annoying it was, frankly. And that's not to say that I came onto the right answer first time. I think it's very rare with a startup that people find the right solution you know up front so like i said we did charge commissions to begin with but we pivoted quite quickly into a commission free model but ultimately it just makes sense to me you know if you prioritize freelancers and really empower them you give them all the tools and resources they need to succeed then ultimately what does a client want the best freelancer you know so that it, it makes sense to me that by Putting the freelancers first, and by empowering the freelancers, actually we create the best platform for both sides, not just for the
0: freelancers. Mm -hmm. So, talk a little bit about um, because I've used other platforms. They will remain nameless (laughs) versus (laughs) this show. And one of the frustrations that I have is just the quality. Finding quality freelancers. How does uh, Revolancer solve that problem?
1: Sure. So essentially what we do is we ask freelancers for a lot more information. So a lot more kind of what have they done in the past? How can they evidence that, that sort of stuff. And then essentially we have a kind of a human moderator who looks through these listings and either approves them or rejects them with feedback. And then our goal is to eventually automate that. So we've come to quite some length automating that already. My personal background is, is in AI. I studied AI and robotics at university. So that's a big interest of mine. And ultimately, longer term, we want to automate a lot of, of our platform and then be able to offer this high, um, you know, in many cases, industry-leading level of quality control, but on a completely kind of automated basis.
0: Now that's interesting. AI and robotics. How'd you get into that? Well,
1: I, it was kind of a spur of the moment decision, but my thought process was, I mean, I wanted to start a business for a very long time. So I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur from when I was 13, never changing my mind. So at first I was really skeptical of university. And in many cases I still am, but I thought that AI machine learning could be really useful to have a formal education and for you know various business projects that, that I want to work on in the future. So And so far, that has proven to be true.
0: Yeah, we have that in in, in common. I remember being, um, I believe I was 14, and knowing, I, I knew two things. I knew I wanted to have a family. And I knew I wanted to own my own business, so um, to your point. But I, I kind of took a similar route. I went to college, got a degree, wor- worked as a, a, an engineer for some years in operations. And all the while, I just, like, could not wait to quit and start my own, job, <laughs> own business. So I get that. That That's cool. And I can already tell that background has helped you just in the way that you think and the way you process information, like the research and and. It's helping with shaping the future of the company and, and some of the features that you're you're bringing. So that's cool to hear. What are some of the skills? The other thing that I know is that as a former freelancer myself as well, there are frustrations and, and things that I experience. What are some of those things? Like what's the skill up, if I'm a freelancer that I need to develop if I want to be successful at it?
1: I think the number, I don't even know if you can call this a skill, but I suppose you can definitely interpret it as a skill. It's just self-confidence and knowing your worth. I'd say that's a really important thing because so many things come from it. Like so many pieces of advice that, you know, I give to freelancers regularly kind of all link back to that. Like, for example, not offering a discount. Like if you give a client a quote um, for you know, a list of things you're going to do, and they say, oh, I can only pay, I don't know, 80% of the money or 75%, can I get a discount? The way to deal with that is to say, no, no problem, I'll do you know 80% of the stuff on my list. So I'll take one or two of the things off, and then you only need to pay me 80% of the money. And that's the best way to to actually deal with those sort of queries from clients. I mean ultimately that and many other things all link back to just knowing your worth and having self-confidence and trusting yourself. And that way you can get, I I think, much further, much faster as a freelancer.
0: You bring up a, a, a really interesting question for me. There is this proverbial race to the bottom sometimes on platforms. Thoughts on that? How do we avoid it? Do we avoid it? How do we interpret that mentality of I want to be the lowest price kind of plays off of your earlier uh, statement with knowing your worth? What if you're on the platform? You know your worth, but people on the platform, they don't know their worth and they're charging the absolute lowest price. And you're like, what do I do? I know my worth. But other people, they're charging at the bottom of the barrel.
1: Well, I think just in the same way, freelancers need to be a bit more selective with their clients. So if you are providing quality work and charging what it's worth, let's say you're a graphic designer, you know, for example, and then someone else comes along and says they'll design them you know, the client's logo for five dollars and the client then thinks, Oh, that's better because it's cheaper, then I don't think there's anything you can do to change that client's mind other than charging them $4, you know, and, and is that really worth it? No, I mean, you know, there are plenty of um, fish in the sea, I think it's really important to work with clients who, you know, de- kind of develop a good relationship with clients. And, and for you, know, I can tell you that from my freelancing experience, actually, I noticed a really strange kind of trend, which is that my two clients, I had two clients who paid me, like, you know, a lot more than every other client I had. And those two clients were by far the best to work with. You know, they were the most understanding, most reasonable, just a real pleasure to work with. I felt like I was really contributing something. And the clients who were constantly trying to push the price down and, and having tiny budgets were often horrible to deal with. So, you know, I think it comes back again to know know your worth. And just because... A certain client will not hire you because someone else is charging less money then that doesn't mean that you have to bend over backwards just to try and win that client i'd say focus your energy elsewhere on getting a different client who understands that you know you, you get what you pay for
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, I, I a thousand percent agree i think the other thing you always t- tell people is really you should be charging for value and not the price anyway if I'm doing a a service and it's adding value to a client, that's what I'm charging. I'm charging for the time that you're going to save from working with somebody who has been in the industry for a long time, who knows all the best practices and the current practices and things like that. So that's what the value is. It's not per hour or a dollar value. I'm curious to know it was a failed experiment for me, Carl. I was terrible as a freelancer. I fared much better as the business owner offer the service what advice would you have for a person like me who you know i really want to do the freelance thing but i'm just for whatever reason i'm not able to land clients how do i land clients and how do i succeed as a freelancer
1: well i think to some degree there's that saying you know it's not what you know it's who you know that really is true in a lot of cases and it's unfair i wish it wasn't like that but the thing is, it's not a case of you know the right people or you don't know the right people. Like, you can do something about it. You know, if you know that's the game you're playing, you can absolutely go ahead and build the right network, speak to the right people. And how that relates to your question is I think the best way to get started is to kind of work with one, like, you know, client who can really establish you. You know, so you've got like a great portfolio item. And then, you know, either they introduce you to people. Or you just go and reach out, you know, or you kind of use that to build your own credibility. Like, oh, I did this project for Spotify or whatever, you know, and that's like a huge thing. So, and the way to go out there and get that is basically just to to network with people. Like go on LinkedIn. Let's say you're a graphic designer who wants to get established in the music industry, for example. Like go on LinkedIn, find people who work at Spotify, you know, see if, just start a conversation with them, show an interest in what they do. Then, you know, hop on a call with them and, you know, just like find out more, find out if maybe you can help them in, in some way if they, You know, and, and then just kind of like share what it is you're looking to do and see if maybe you can do something for them for free, you know, because that's the other piece of advice that I heard. You, you never discount, you either charge full price or you do it for free. Because people get addicted to discounts. So, you know, if you give someone a discount, once they'll always expect a discount. If you give someone something for free, they don't get addicted to to that. And oftentimes that can really get you in the door. So, you know, like be prepared to do some things for free. Nothing too, too big. You know, you want to make clear that this is like a trial so they can understand what it's like working with you. And you can use that to kind of leverage getting a really, really good project for your portfolio. And then either, you know, they're really happy with you and they introduce you to people, like definitely try and get some warm interest through them. But even if not, having, you know, like a fantastic kind of case study or client under under your belt will make it way easier to reach out to other um, companies then. You know, another tactic there is to find a market where people are very competitive, like let's say real estate agents in a certain area, go to one of them, do some great work for them for free, then go to that competitors. say, you know, like, look like what I did for them. Um, are you going to, you know, fall behind or are you going to keep up and hire me as well? So, you know, the, those are just some, some kind of initial tips that are, are hopefully useful.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Tell me a little bit more about the Revelancer platform it, itself. What kind of cool features are there? How are you guys maintaining quality? Why should I use Rev- Revelancer if I'm looking for a freelancer as opposed to the other platforms?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, it pretty much comes down to two core reasons, which is the same reason why you know freelancer should use the platform. Reason number one is when you pay a freelancer that you hire through Revolence that they get all the money you're paying them. So, for example, you know, like a, the industry standard seems to be twenty percent charge to freelancers and five percent charge to clients. So, you're paying someone one hundred and five dollars, and they're getting eighty dollars you know, can you expect $105 worth of work? You know, or do you expect $80 worth of work? You know, it's just maybe something in between. But on Revolunt, if you pay someone $100, you pay, you know, they they receive $100. So first of all, it's arguably much better value for money. But then secondly, your workflow is much better. So we don't restrict how you can communicate. So you can video call and explain things to them, which you absolutely cannot do on, on you know, many of these. In fact, you know, all of the current large platforms.
0: So both of those things make sense to me, but I'm really begging the question, how in the world does Revelancer make money then?
1: Well, we have this optional paid plan for freelancers where basically they can reach out to more clients and a couple of other perks if they pay five pounds per month.
0: Okay, that that is interesting. I, I think I don't know that there are other Platforms that are um, set up that way, I'm sure there are, but not that t- to my knowledge. And t- talk a little bit more about that decision leading up to that to go away from the commission base because that's that's kind of a bold move, right? Because most marketplaces are, um, are commission based.
1: They are, and well, I mean, we're a startup. I think we we have the luxury of being able to make really bold moves. And you know, what we found is that this is a you know, it's logical correct way to, to do things in my view i think it's fairer to freelancers it gives clients a better experience uh, it's just the way it should be and frankly many of these very large platforms the oldest large platform has been around for more than 20 years the ones who came since many of them are at least like 15 years old they all seem to be copying one another in terms of how they operate and they haven't changed this model in you know a couple of decades now So, and at this point, I don't think they really can change the model either, because the biggest three players in this market are publicly traded companies. They make, you know, 90 whatever percent of their revenue comes from commission fees and in some cases it's 100%. So can you really just suddenly remove commission fees and then try and experiment with something else if you're a publicly traded company? and that has an obligation to deliver returns to shareholders? I don't know. I don't think so. They certainly haven't made any attempts to make a radical change to their business model. So I think that they chose the wrong path and they are now stuck. And ultimately, I think that we have had the the luxury of a couple of decades of you know just them having tried certain things that we can now learn from to that actually know they went down the wrong path. We're going to try something different. This makes sense to us. It makes sense that freelancers are the clients who use our platform and just ultimately do things better.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you still freelance?
1: I personally, no, I haven't for a, a couple of <laughs> years. <laughs> Most of my time is taken up by work.
0: <laughs> what What did you do as a freelancer? I
1: started with graphic design. I pirated a copy of Photoshop when I was like 12 or something to design channel art for YouTube channels that I was setting up, but then I taught myself how to use it. Uh, so I started with graphic design and then I moved into some web development stuff too, because I was building various websites for myself. So then that's just another skill that I picked up.
0: I know you, you have a background in AI and robotics. What's the future of AI and, and how was that going to impact Revelanter? Uh The future of AI, I think depends on timeframe. So, I think
1: short term, you know, it's short to medium term, it's going to be a very useful tool for people to use to make their jobs more efficient. I don't think in the short to medium term, it's going to, you know, massively replace and automate stuff. I think it will, in some ways, reduce the input required from humans, but human input will, you know, for the foreseeable future absolutely be required. Like if you think about something like ChatGPT, you know, who's writing the prompts? It can't generate the prompts by itself. You know, without something you putting something in initially, and then ultimately, who checks it? Because Chat Chat GPT is not sort of sentient; it can't think. It's just a predictive text engine that's trained on five million web pages that tries to find sort of sequences of words that sound like they belong together. And then it could mean that it just starts writing gibberish. You know, that sounds really credible, but if you're actually if you know something about the industry or the subject that it's writing about, you know that it's writing nonsense. Which makes it a bit dangerous, actually. But nonetheless, I think short to medium term, it's not going to be that radically different. I think much longer, that's where it could start being a bit more of a threat. But I think, again, not necessarily in the way that the media often portrays it to be. So I don't think, you know, it's like, you know, some AI is going to start launching nukes or, you know, go terminate or whatever. Um, But I think it's more so in automating jobs that where well, there's now suddenly a large portion of humans who cannot do anything better, you know, or more efficiently than a machine can. And, and at that point, you know, what do they do? I think there are a lot of big questions around that that there aren't really good answers and people aren't moving well, I think, is you know fast enough in finding good answers there. As for what it means for Revelancer, you know, well, we use AI in terms of our more moderation, which we are already on, increasingly doing so in the future, which works really well for us because it means that we can keep our costs a lot lower, offer things like no commission fees, and it's really just provide a much better experience to, to everyone on the platform.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I use one of the AIs to um, the one that you can search for the internet, and I've typed in myself and asked it to write a bio on me. It was okay, but it had some some details in there that I'm like, that's not correct. (laughs) It (laughs) had some incorrect things in there. I'm like, I don't know about that. So I I get the point there. What's the biggest business lesson you've learned so far?
1: I think, honestly, it's just never giving up. It's like rethinking how you think about failure and just seeing failure as actually something quite positive if you learn from it. Um, You know, I mean, for many years, like from when I was... 13 to probably around 20. I tried many different ideas. Most of them didn't really go anywhere. Some of them went somewhere, but nothing to the level of, you know, where Revelance is today. And had I at any point given up along that journey, you know, I would have never actually gotten anywhere. So, you know, I think really the biggest thing I've learned is to just keep trying, never give up, understand that failure it's a part of a process. And then ultimately when you are actually successful with something, You understand why, and you can replicate it. Whereas if you just got lucky the first time, you know, by like coming up with the right idea at the right time, then you can't replicate that. You you just got lucky. So frankly, I'd much rather have a lot of learning opportunities kind of under my belt, and then be able to replicate what I've been able to achieve, and actually understand why I've been able to achieve it. And a lot of it came from countless hours, weeks, months, years of working very hard getting practically nothing out of it and just just learning essentially
0: Mm -hmm. do you have a specific framework that you use when you're going through that process i know i talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners and oftentimes times there's a way that we process things right when you're looking at an idea number one to to say i don't think this worked right this didn't work and then how how we process okay so what what do you do next? Now you evaluate, you reassess, you refresh, and then you react, right? Do you have a, a specific framework on how you do that? I do now. I think for the for most of my life, though, I wasn't
1: sort of going about it in too much of a logical way. I think it just kind of subconsciously has manifested into something useful. Um, you know, I can like look look back and, and understand consciously when when I think about it. But yeah, I think it's just. Like you say, it's really important to, if something doesn't work out, just really try and figure out why it didn't work out and then what learning experiences can you take from it. But I mean, often when it, you know, one other thing that I've learned that's, you know, kind of relates to to both your questions that business lesson is that actually the way that most people start a business is completely wrong or it's just not the best way because people think when you start a business, you think of a cool idea and then you like go out there and build the idea and you know, like put it out there and advertise to people and they buy from you essentially. But really what I found is the best way just to start a business or any kind of project is to identify your target audience and then sort of like understand what their problems are and then build a solution for a very specific problem for a very specific group of people, because that way your chance of success, your chances of guessing the right idea is just so much higher. Because oftentimes when it comes to evaluate, or, or you know, like oftentimes logic can really be your enemy when it comes to trying to predict how other humans are going to like for example, a, a good friend of mine who runs a, a marketplace company for just like secondhand items, he had an idea of like, well, what if we hide the price of the item? Because that way, people won't send lowball offers. They're actually going to bid higher. And that was, you know, I think the logic there seemed sound. They implemented that, pushed it. And then suddenly, people started only lowballing. You know? So at at least, let's say you're selling something for $100 and someone offers you 50 At least they're not offering you 10, right? (laughs) So that's just a good example of where logic is not your friend. You know, what you need to do is is test it, speak to people. Or in this case, you know, maybe like roll this feature out for, I don't know, 100 of your users, and then just see over the course of a week, how does their behavior change compared to everyone else? We really got to build for your customers first and foremost.
0: If you could do a masterclass on your take on how to start a business, I heard you say identify a target market, identify the problem that that market has, and then build a solution for that problem, right? A lot of people, to your point, do it exactly backwards. (laughs) It's based on their passion or what they like to do or what they think the market wants. So thank you for that. That is what I call a golden nugget. Um, well, it's something
1: that I only learned very recently, but the, the most successful entrepreneurs that I know, they pretty much all told me this in one way or another. And for a long time, I just ignored it, which I really regret now, but it, you know, really from my experience now is the best way to go about
0: it. Yeah. What do you say to people that they say, well, you have to be passionate about it.
1: Of course you do. So that's why you start with finding a target audience that you want to help or like kind of a certain just broader um, industry that you want to be involved in. Um, But as for what your business very specifically does, I think it needs to be driven by, um, you know, what the audience wants. So for example, I could say I used to be a freelancer. I faced all kinds of issues. I want to make the industry better for freelancers. I want to like build a platform that's going to help freelancers. Great. You know, that all that stuff I can come up with by myself but then when it comes to what does my platform actually do specifically that has to come from speaking to other freelancers because it could also be that the problems that i face as a freelancer are not faced by anyone else well fortunately or unfortunately as well it actually turns out that many many freelancers faced the same problems that i did but i went about it wrong i got lucky by assuming that other people had um, experienced the same kind of issues that i had and finding something good but it was luck. It wasn't kind of well calculated or researched at the beginning. Whereas now it's changed. But, you know, so I definitely you want to work on something you're passionate about. But when it comes down to the specifics, that you definitely got to work with your audience to figure out what needs do they have? Would they be willing to pay for it? That sort of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's the biggest life lesson you've learned so far?
1: I think it comes down to working with others and really just reaching out to others and asking questions. I have found it to be, you know, really quite incredible how willing, you know, some very accomplished people have been to help me out along my journey and, you know, continue to help me out without any kind of, you know, rewarding kind of financial benefit or anything. But just because I asked them my questions and and like sort of show passion and, and maybe they got help from others at the beginning of their journey and now they want to give back. And it goes beyond that. It's also like in order to achieve anything, you need to surround yourself with great people, like be that advisors, mentors, or a team as well. So I think that, for me, that has definitely made the biggest difference, like learning and understanding how best to work with other people, how to motivate a team, like how to effectively identify and reach out to people who, who I can learn from and just really understanding that. I I cannot change the world or change even this industry by myself. I need to work with great people with a similar kind of vision to accomplish that.
0: Mm -hmm. What are you excited about in the next six months? Well,
1: what I'm really excited about is our new platform that we're launching. I mean, pretty much now it's already kind of live. And essentially, that is a platform that facilitates service exchanges between freelancers. So, this is actually where. This lesson I was talking about earlier about building a business for your customers first and foremost really came into action, you know, because we were speak, speaking with our customers and we identified that of our user base of 20,000 plus freelancers, 40% of them were exchanging skills informally. So that means, you know, I design you a logo, you do some copywriting for me or something like that. And 40% of them were already doing that frequently. And of those nine in 10 want to keep doing it. But the, the problem then is that in order to, you know, have like a skills exchange like that, I need to want what you offer. You need to want what I offer. It needs to be at the same time, needs to be of the same value. You know, like what are the odds of all those things lining up? It's it's quite low, you know, and our research supported that. But still, 40% of freelancers are actively doing this. So basically what we're doing now is with the continued feedback of our users is we're building a platform That facilitates those kind of service exchanges with a credit system. So that solves those problems because now if I'm paying you with a hundred credits, then I don't need to swap directly with you. You know, I can just source from you and you don't need to necessarily want what I'm offering because I can deliver something to someone else who wants what I'm offering. I get the credits and then I give the credits to you to, to get what I want. So that's something I'm really excited about. And that really came from properly understanding this lesson and implementing it.
0: Very cool. How can the enterprisers help? Well, um, I don't know. <laughs> I think ultimately, if
1: you care about freelancing and working with freelancers, then working with us in, in, in some way, reaching out to us, seeing if, if we can provide what you're looking for. Yeah, and, and ultimately, well, my goal with Revelance is just to change the freelancing space for the better for, for clients and freelancers alike.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Carl. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. If you got value from today's show, we want you to join the Enterprises Elite email list for more nuggets and resources. And remember, no excuses, just execution. Go get it.